I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers that have been in the business for well over 25 years. <laughs> Through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge, our challenges, and our foibles and lots of stories. That's the thing I like the most about it. All of our stories, anything to help you and your family create the ultimate wonderful landscape environment. And how do you create a landscape in the environment that we're living in, um, which is extreme drought and high heat? Um, but there's a way to do it. And not only is there a way to do it, but uh, there are many cash um, uh, incentives given by the state of California and also our local water boards, depending on what area you're in, um, to give you, to pay you to take your grass out. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we'll talk about some alternatives as well. Absolutely. So that you're not wasting one water, space, and energy on a water-sucking weed. Right. Not, not only is it a water-sucking weed, this is from 2016. There were over 40 million grassy areas in the continental U.S. that are being watered for nothing. And um, that's, a, I think it is the largest crop of growing nothing that we water. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I would much prefer watering something that's going to give me fruits or vegetables than a big expanse of grass that has to be mowed, fertilized, and especially grass that isn't going to be used or played on or done done anything with. Right. I mean, most people have like 1,500 square feet, a, a triangle of grass that they're never using. You have to mow it, you fertilize it. It's, it's just a waste. And so... There, um, I know in Southern California, I haven't checked up here, but they're giving you up to $2 per square foot of grass uh, that you remove. I think there's a limit of 5,000 square feet, but that can come to two or $3,000. So um, if that's a great incentive to take your lawn out because that alone, depending on the size of your, okay, so, you know, if you're going to get the maximum, you've got a big yard, but still, that's good seed money to get started. Absolutely. And when you think about it, I mean, it's a different story if you've got a big enough lawn, say, in your backyard, and you've got kids that you're going to actually play on a croquet, on, play croquet, badminton, volleyball, a different story. But when you've got this punicent little piece of nothing that is just going to sit there and you're going to pay someone to mow it or you're going to have to mow it weekly and you're going to have to fertilize it and then you have to water it more than any other, just about any other ground cover what a waste of time and energy. And um, you could be doing so much more with that space. You could. You know, I think it's been maybe 19 years now that I took out, I first killed my front lawn because it was all Bermuda grass. So uh, I, unless you kill that, you're going to deal with it for the rest of your life. So I killed it. And of course, none of my neighbors, I, I have a quarter of an acre property and my front lawn was you know, 50 feet up to the house by maybe 20 or 30. And um, they thought I was nuts. And so I, I killed it, took it out, put a path in the way Michael and I talked to you, you know, to start breaking up the landscape, a nice flowing path up to the front door, because most of our houses, 
don't have that, right? Right. Yeah, you know, you have to make a sharp right or sharp left to get to the driveway and then go sideways up the driveway if there's a car in it. Anyway, um, here I am 19 years later, and I just, I'm not a numbers person, but I actually prepared and did some numbers, okay? So here's here's the deal. Um, For every square foot of grass that you have, it takes 44 gallons of water, okay? To keep it green. 44 gallons of water. Okay. So um, in my front yard years ago, I had, I estimated 1,000 square feet of uh of water okay that's forty four thousand gallons or um then in the backyard i have forty five hundred square feet i was using close to two hundred thousand gallons per year per year so um now well to the combined i was using almost three hundred thousand gallons of water per year front and backyard that's on a large lot it's a quarter of an acre I didn't play on the grass. Nobody played on the grass. The dog did his, her business on the grass, but that was it. So now in the hottest month, uh, which is August in Sacramento, that's my highest water use. And I use a total front and back of 44,000 gallons from 300,000 down. And then in the cooler months, I use 23,000 gallons annually. So I don't think people realize that, you know, as that hose is running, gallons, hundreds, thousands of gallons are leaking, you know, in, into an area that just doesn't get used. And if you've seen pictures of Shasta Lake or Folsom Lake or Orville, the dam, you know, you, you have to start to realize that every drop is precious. Right. And and what's an interesting thing is, and a lot of people were gone. Um, it's not that they don't care, but you have to hit them in their pocketbook. And on, and what I mean by that is I had a client up in um, Folsom, it was it, either Folsom or El Dorado Hills. And at a certain point, water was very inexpensive, but then they started getting charged more and more money for water. And I remember going up there when their water bill and they were freaking out, their water bill was fifty. $1,500 a month, $1,500 a month. And that was actually more than their mortgage. And they looked at me and they go, we're paying more for water than we are for our mortgage on our house. We can't afford that. And they they said, I don't care what you do, but we've got to redesign this and we've got to get rid of 90% of this lawn because that's $1,500 a month that they were paying for water. And it was only going to go up. Yep. You know, um, Carmel, our our um, our West Coast, um, the cities along the ocean, they've they've been paying high water rates for years and we've we've had it good. We've had it. Um, you know, we, I used to be on a monthly charge. They didn't even monitor, but uh, we're on meters now. Anyway, um, taking out the lawn and getting paid for it is a wonderful idea, don't you think? Oh, I think it's a great idea. And again, it's it's something that people can concretely say I'm getting a benefit for because, you know, sometimes unless it hits you in the pocketbook, you don't really you don't really feel it. But if you're paying that money out and now you're getting to take it out, you're getting reimbursed so you can do something else. And I think that's the next step that we should talk about is what is the something else that you can do? Okay, well, wait, before we go right there, let me just tell you that if you are going to apply for one of these programs, you yes. take your grass out until 
you either um, most people, most of these um, organizations will have you make a reservation and have somebody come out and look at it first. Sometimes it can be done online, but don't remove your grass. You can kill your grass, but don't remove it yet. Until you've got documentation and people have, have seen it. That makes a lot of sense. Right. And normally you'll get the rebate when the job is done. And with most uh, organizations, they'll give you 180 days. That's six months. And they're not they're very lenient. So it's not hard line. But once you get the project done, so then, uh, you know, once they come out, you're going to have to give them some idea of what you're going to do. You know, they're not going to just, you know, come back to uh, a couple rocks all over your yard, you know, a couple boulders and some rock and that's it. No. They, they want a drought-tolerant landscape. It doesn't have to be fancy, but they want to know that you're replacing it with something, if trees maybe to mitigate the heat and right. drought-tolerant. So it doesn't look like the Dust Bowl. Yeah, the Dust Bowl, which was created by our pioneer um, ancestors. They cut down all the trees and created uh, the worst Dust Bowl you know, in history of the United States anyway. We don't want to do that. We want to add back. So... Okay, now go on, Michael, with the what to do after you take the lawn right. out. Got lots of options. Now, depending on if it's a backyard, that doesn't even mean you can't do it in the front yard. But we've talked many times ad nauseum almost about um, edible gardens and things that you can eat. But that, uh, for example, you could actually put a grove of fruit trees and drip irrigate them. Um, and I'm not talking about almonds that use the most amount of water. I'm talking about certain other stone fruits, and that would be a good solution in the backyard. Or you could do a mixture of raised boxes um, or horse troughs. So you can do a vegetable garden and then tie that together with fruit trees. And you could even do, you know, depending on the space, if it's big enough, you could even do a small play area you know, for your kids. And then instead of lawn, you would put an interlocking rubber paver um, or something of that nature. So, I mean, those are just a small tidbit of what you can do. But I mean, when you think about it, you've got all this space, especially in your backyard, that's going to waste that you never use. Why not turn it into an area that suddenly becomes functional? Well, yeah, and sustainable. And then, um, and then, you know, a Mediterranean planting, which many people love, we're talking about, and they're drought tolerant, we're talking about olive trees and lavender and rosemary. And, you know, um, there's all kinds of wonderful plants, yarrow, that you could create a beautiful landscape that does, it not only looks good, but it also is wonderful for the habitat, for the bees, the butterflies, the birds, the butterfly bush. There's so many varieties that we could grow here that don't require a lot of water. So if you want to create a Mediterranean garden, this is the time, this is the place to do it. And for example, if you wanted an expanse of just, say, very quiet, and you wanted a ground cover that you can replace that with, there is a ground cover called Carapia. K-U-R-A-P-I-A, and it is, it actually, you buy it as sod. It also comes as plugs, but you can roll it out, match it together. It is a low-growing ground cover that has a white flower that's very hardy. The, it, the hotter it gets, the better it does, and it needs very little water once it's established. And again, it almost gives that appearance of a lawn. It's actually on the wool calls list, so it is on the low water list of plants to use. It is more expensive than a normal lawn, 
but it, it's considered a lawn. It's a broadleaf. I don't know if you remember the old dichondra lawns. Um, those are yeah. broadleaf as well, yeah. So it could be mown. If you don't mow it, then it has white flowers, and the white flowers attract bees. The bees love it. And if you have fruit trees, it pollinates. If you have kids, you want to keep it mown. Well, down in Southern California, when you mentioned that dichondra, I remember as a kid, um, it was very, you know, if if you had made it, you know, financially, you could afford it. People down in Southern California would put this uh, plant. It, it's a ground cover. Dichondra. We didn't make it, though, but we had it. I said, you know, we didn't, uh, we, it wasn't an affluent thing for us. We had it. I don't know why. My dad put it in years ago. I remember my aunt putting it in there and spending a fortune. And then the gophers came and mowed it all up. And she was bemoaning the fact that, I mean, they had spent like $2,000 putting in a little patch of dichondra. And it looked beautiful for about a month. And then the gophers came and it was all gone. Oh, well, I can't even imagine my dad spending that on a lawn. But anyway, we had that. Uh, that type too. I never really liked it. The karapi is quite different. It's nice and full and it gets puffy. It's it's really beautiful. It is um it is expensive. It's more yes. expensive than sod. And um I I think the best way to irrigate it is with the underground uh Netifim drip system. Because, I agree with you. Yeah, because then you you don't have runoff, you don't have evaporation and you know, most of us have potted plants around the yard. And if you notice when we get wow oh, over the mid 90s, they dry out daily. You have to water them daily. So with the heat and the wind, um, every time you water, or if you have a little fountain, the evaporation will, will zap it. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I remember years ago doing a pond, and the people kept compl- were complaining. This was when we used to do design build. We actually were the contractors that built it as well as designing it. And we built this pond and the people were calling and saying it leaked. And um, I did all the calculations. I actually contacted the university and they actually came out and did a little bit of a study and they said, no, it's not leaking. It's evaporation. It can literally go down up to six inches when it's in the middle of summer and it's like over 100 degrees. You can lose up to six inches of water in that pond. And the people were stunned. I was stunned because I actually didn't realize how much water evaporates, you know, from a, a water source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. We have to become more and more uh, conscientious about, oh, you know, leaving water running while you're brushing your teeth or when you're doing the dishes. I mean, we really have to start um, being aware because if we don't get water <laughs> this winter, we're in deep trouble. Oh, I know. I know. It's it'll be it's like um, Roberta and I will be talking about planting and watering with a watering can. Yeah. <laughs> and there won't be that much. <laughs> That we'll be planting, but it's true. I mean, this winter is really, in a way, it's kind of a make or break, and I don't expect to catch up. But at least we need. I mean, for the, for viewers, people that are listening, we normally get 21 inches of rain on a on a good year. This year we got eight inches. Yeah, it was it was really really crazy. You know, I got something from my water district. It just reminded me of something that you said about the watering can. If you have some full-grown trees and you take a five-gallon bucket and drill an eighth-inch hole in like the very bottom side and then cover it with tape, fill it up, put it next to the tree and take the tape off, it will slowly water your tree. So oh, that's 
interesting. Yeah. So if you don't have an irrigation system and you've got some big trees, it's cheap. Buy a few five-gallon buckets, drill the hole, fill them with water. And um, that's what the trees need. You know, probably once a week only is um, a slow drip. Yeah, five gallons. So I thought that was a great idea. That's a cheap and easy way. It's even cheaper than a drip system. So yeah, yep. No, yeah. it's 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 imperative. In fact, years ago, I went to a, a conference on water, and I was one of the delegates. And that was what was said. That was just it was. And this was like, oh, it more than five years ago. They basically said, you know, people were were um, spending money and buying, you know, oil leases and this and that. And maybe it was ten years ago, and they were talking about the importance of oil. And they said, our prediction is that um, not oil, not gold, it will be water that will become the thing that people will be buying and investing in. It'll be like um, water leases because it is something that's going to be on a shortage. And sure enough, you know, um, whole communities are buying water rights to areas so that they can keep the community alive. And that has become a very expensive proposition. But that that has turned out to be true because water is something that we take for granted. We expect it always to be there. And it's not. No, but we can do something about it. It's always comes. It always comes down to the people. We are the vast majority, and when we change the way we do things and the way our landscapes are, we don't have to lose billions of gallons of water a year. We can make that change, and that's what we're proponents of. And um, I design gardens all the time that are drought tolerant, and like I did back in 2004 where people thought I was crazy, I didn't see the need for lawns either during, I mean, we live in Sacramento, and we've never had cool summers with rain, ever. Right. <laughs> well, and, and you're right. I mean, when back east, and that's the thing that makes it even more frustrating. Here we are drying up. And then I talked to my sister who lives in North Carolina, and she had moved from Boston, from Massachusetts. And it rains every, almost every single day there. They get a rainstorm. So none of them have irrigation or sprinklers. Um, they just plant and they expect it. Whereas in um, California and even in now Washington and Oregon, this has been a strange time because they've had droughts and the, the, the water tables are going down and they're not getting the water that they normally got. Whereas back east, I mean, I've always said, you know, we've done it with oil. The idea of getting a pipeline, you know, from some of the places that are flooding um, and helping places that are that have no water makes a lot of sense, at least to me. It well, we have a long waterway that goes all the way down to Southern California and uh, full of water, bringing them water. And um, recently, now this, this has been something that's been done in India for many years, which is they're putting on um, like a cover over the water, not over the water, but above the water. And the cover is made of photovoltaic panels, solar. So not only do these panels generate a lot of electricity, but it cuts the evaporation like 70%. That waterway, if you've ever driven down Highway 5 from Sacramento to Los Angeles and you see the water canal there, right, right. percent of that water gets evaporated on its way down. So Interesting. by putting um, these, these panels on, which are going to generate electricity for the towns around it, they're saving so much water. Brilliant. Although we're just getting there and it's been 
down in India for years. So yep, yep. lots of good things happening. Well, we've kind of gone on and on, haven't we? When- we have. But all the things we mentioned, I mean, they're valuable and they're things that it's not it's not like in vogue right now. And in a year from now, um, oh, you know, why'd you bother to talk about it? It's going to be something that are going to be that's going to be on people's mind year after year after year. And again, as we said and, and we brought out brought out, if we don't get rain this this winter, um, it's going to be on a lot more people's minds. It will. And um, let me tell you, I've had my garden in my front landscape in for, you know, and my back for many, many years. And it's grown in beautifully. And just the other day, the UPS guy dropped off a package. I opened the door and I said, thank you. And he turned around and he said, I love your landscape. He said, it's just when I walk on this path, it's like going into a different world. It's it's like a hobbit land. And and I thought that was so sweet. But here's the deal. When you take out the lawn, sky's the limit for what you can create. With a lawn, Absolutely. there's nothing you can create except a lawn. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're here to inspire you. And not only are we here to inspire you, but your local water and California water, and not just California, there's um, Denver, Arizona, across the Midwest. Most uh, most states have a WaterWise program, a Cash for Grass program. So do check it out. You can go online and Google Cash for Grass and uh, put in your state, and you'll get all the information you need. Perfect. Well, I'm Michael Glassman. I'm Roberta Walker. And we, and we are, are Digging Deep. deep.